Chapter 29 On Being Diligent in Business You know those respected city gentlemen. I hope you reverence them as I do, since they are the embodiment of wisdom. One of these men said to his son, William, I am pleased to see you lean toward religion, but take my advice and be reasonable. I have been in business now for forty years, and my advice is to stick to trade and make money, and then attend to religion. The young man, as young men tend to do, had begun to think for himself. Surprisingly, his thoughts ran in the right way, and therefore he replied, Father, I am always grateful to you for your good advice, but this time you must excuse me if I differ from you. For the Scripture says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6 33. Therefore, I cannot go in for making money first, but I must at once serve God, and I hope I may be no less attentive to business. It's a good rule to begin as you intend to continue. That son was wiser than his counselor. True godliness is as good for this life as for the next. If I had to die like a dog, I would still want to be a Christian. Place the Christian religion first in the order of time. Begin each week by carefully consecrating the first day to rest and holy worship. Begin each day by giving the dew of the morning to communion with heaven. Begin your married life by seeking the blessing of the Great Father and choosing for a partner one who will agree with you in the fear of God. In opening a new business, sanctify the venture with the prayers of godly friends, and in all new enterprises, be guided by the Lord. If we begin, continue, and end with God, our way will be sprinkled with blessings. Seek also the kingdom of God first in the order of preference. If it would ever become a choice between God and the things of the world, never hesitate. If wealth and righteousness run counter to each other, let the gold perish, but hold fast to righteousness. Follow Christ no matter what it costs you. Blessed is that man who never has to wrestle with such a decision because his mind is made up, rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Hebrews 11, 25. Blessed is the man who knows no course except that of entire consecration to God and righteousness, who is not cautious in answering in this matter, but has his mind decided once for all. This is his motto. Tis done, the great transaction's done. I am my Lord's, and he is mine. Footnote. These lines are from a hymn by Philip Doddridge, 1702-1751, titled, O Happy Day. We have lifted our hand unto the Lord, and we cannot go back. That's good, someone says, but you know, we must live. I'm not sure about that. There are occasions when it would be better not to live. An old heraldic motto says, Better death than false of faith. I am, however, quite clear about another necessity. We must die. We had better take that must into consideration, and not quite as often repeat the pretentious phrase, we must live. But we will live. We will live without treating the poor badly, or lowering ourselves to questionable financial practices, or lying to the public by a false forecast. We will live without dishonor. Take your ground and keep it. Say, with God helping me, I will do what I believe is right to do. 
Any little difficulties that now arise will soon come to an end if you are firmly conscientious. Never be a coward. I had as lief not be, as live to be, in awe of such a thing as I myself. Footnote. These lines are from William Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar. Let none of us ever raise a question about whether we will please or displease others by doing right, but let us seek first the kingdom of God. Let godliness be first in intensity. It is to be feared that many people give their strength to their worldly pursuits and their weakness to their religion. They are all there during banking hours, but they are not all there at the hour of prayer. They remind me of one whose voice in our assemblies for prayer was exceedingly low and nearly inaudible, but in the shop he could be heard almost too well. Should it be so that self should have our energies and Christ should have our lukewarmness? If ever we grow fervent and enthusiastic, it should be in the noblest of all causes, in the service of the best of masters. We cannot be too earnest in that work. We seldom meet with a person who borders upon excess zeal in this matter. We cannot do too much for him who has redeemed us with his precious blood. Our heart complains that we cannot do enough. Sadly, the comparative sizes of the Bible and the book of our business accounts are frequently symbolic. A neat little Bible is buried under a huge ledger. I claim a different place for things divine. Let that be first which is first. Throw your whole soul into the love and service of the Lord. A Sunday school teacher asked a child, Is your father a Christian? The girl answered, Yes, I believe that my father is a Christian, but he hasn't worked much at it lately. No doubt there are many people like that. Their religion has taken a vacation, and they themselves have gone up to a sluggard's bed. Let them be awakened, for it is high time to awake out of sleep. Romans 13:11. Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness first by giving true Christianity sovereignty over your lives. The helm by which life is steered should be in the hand of God. Our greatest desire should be to glorify God and promote righteousness. This Aaron's rod should swallow up all other rods. Be first a man of God, and after that be a banker, a businessman, or a laborer. I like to see our public men first be Christians, then Englishmen, and then members of their political parties, as their convictions sway them. But in any case, let a man be first a man of God. I pray to God that our politics, our merchandise, our literature, and our art were all saturated with this idea. First a Christian. Then the secondary character would rise in excellence and nobility. Science, social laws, trade usages, and domestic life would all be better for coming under the supremacy of a living Christianity. The fear of God should be the foundation and the capstone of the social edifice. Christ first, and other things in their due order. Over and above all, let consecration to God shine forth even as the pillar of fire in the wilderness covered and illuminated the entire camp of Israel. Does anyone demand what will become of our business if we put godliness first? The answer is, 
all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33. Will a young man prosper who is beginning his life resolving that he will do everything in the fear of God, and that as God helps him he will do nothing that is contrary to the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ? He will get along as far as this. He will have bread to eat and raiment to put on. All that is necessary for this life shall be added unto him. Alas, someone sighs, I am unemployed and don't know how to provide for myself. Are you sure that this trial has come without your own fault? Then don't be of doubtful mind, for the Lord will provide for you. He has said, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Psalm 37, 3. David's experience was, I have been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken. Psalm 37:25. The drunken, the vicious, the lazy, and the dishonest may suffer hunger, and it will be good for them if such discipline helps them. But to the upright there arises light in the darkness. Psalm 112:4. Those who serve God will not have to complain of his deserting them. During the reign of Queen Elizabeth, a certain merchant was desired by Her Majesty to go abroad for her upon affairs of state. He pleaded that his own business would suffer. Her Majesty replied, Sir, if you will mind my business, I will mind your business. You can rest assured that God will care for you if you make His service your delight. All these things shall be added unto you. The blessings of this life come to gracious people in the best shape and form, for they come by divine promise. Suppose that it were now put into the power of each one of us to be rich. I suspect that most of us would be eager to avail ourselves of the opportunity. Yet it is doubtful that it would be best for certain of us to have the burden of wealth. It's a question whether some people who behave well where they now are would be half as good or a tenth as happy if they were lifted to higher positions. I have seen heroes babble under the influence of luxury. Many people are the creatures of circumstances, and they make poor creatures when their circumstances allow them to engage in self-indulgence. We do not know what is best for us. It's sometimes very much better for us to suffer loss and disappointment than to experience gain and prosperity. When that eminent servant of God, Mr. Bernard Gilpin, was arrested to be brought up to London to be tried for preaching the gospel, his captors mocked his frequent remark, Everything is for the best. When he fell from his horse and broke his leg, they were especially amused about it, but the good man quietly remarked, I have no doubt but that even this painful accident will prove to be a blessing. And so it was, for, since he could not travel quickly, the journey was prolonged, and he arrived at London some days later than had been expected. When they reached as far as Highgate, they heard the bells ringing merrily in the city down below. They asked the meaning, and were told, Queen Mary is dead, and there will be no more burnings of Protestants. Ah, said Gilpin, you see, it is all for the best. It's a blessing to break your leg if in doing so your life is saved. How often our calamities are our preservatives! A lesser misfortune may prevent a greater. 
Many people might have soared into the clouds of foolish recklessness if their wings had not been clipped by adversity. It is better to struggle and be honorable than to become wealthy by disgraceful deeds. Ager's prayer, Give me neither poverty nor riches, Proverbs 30, 8, was a wise one, but our Lord's prayer is even better. Not as I will, but as thou wilt, Matthew 26, 39. All these things shall be added unto you, and the portion of the addition will be arranged by infallible wisdom. Temporal things will come to you in such proportion as you yourself would desire them if you were able to know all things and could perform a judgment according to infinite wisdom. Would you not prefer a portion selected by the Lord to one chosen by yourself? Do you not joyfully sing with the psalmist, He shall choose our inheritance for us? Psalm 47, 4. Does not the promise also imply that necessary things will come to the believer without distressing worry and consuming labor? While others are worrying, you will be singing. While others rise in the morning and cry out, How will we live through the day? You will wake to a secure provision, and you will have a happy enjoyment of it. Your place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Your bread will be given to you, and your waters will be sure. Contentment with what you have and confidence in God will make life peaceful and happy. A dinner of herbs with contentment will yield a flavor of satisfaction unknown to those who eat the fattened ox. Proverbs 15:17. It is better to be happy than to be rich. Happiness lies in the heart rather than in the wallet. It's not what a man has, but what a man is that will decide his joy or anguish in this life and the next. If God Himself adds to you the things of this life, then, while you are serving Him, the lines will fall to you in pleasant places, and you will have a goodly heritage. Psalm 16, 6. All these things shall be added unto you, reminds me that the acquisition of property and possessions often decreases a man rather than adds to him. Have you not seen a man become visibly smaller as his riches grew greater? It's an awful sight that has often pained me. I have distinctly seen a man become the architect of his own fortune and the destroyer of himself. Footnote. This phrase is thought to have come from the Roman censor Appius Claudius Caicus, circa 312 to 279 BC. He has built up a palatial estate upon the ruins of his own manhood. It is a pity when a man bricks himself up with his growing gains. Do you see that hole in the wall? The man stands in it and greedily calls for bricks and mortar. He must have golden bricks and silver mortar. They bring him the materials. He calls out eagerly for more. He cannot be content unless he builds himself in. The wall that shuts him out from his fellow men and from the light of peace and true joy rises higher and higher, month by month and year by year. His sympathies and character are bricked up. Still, he thirsts for more metallic material. At last, he is built in, buried beneath his own gatherings, lost to all manhood through his accumulations.